Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who Isn't he beautiful? Aren't you glad you go to a church where the Spirit of the Lord is ushered in? I know I am. I needed that this week. I needed to start this week off exactly like what we just did. Amen? I'm so glad to be here. I'm going to try my hardest to remain calm. I'm going to do my best to keep my composure But this word is so real and so rich that at times, as you know, I can't contain myself. Here's what I do know this morning. I want to be more like Jesus. The older I get, The more hair I lose, because that's what some of you were thinking, so I'm just going to say it. The longer I live, the more I look into the eyes of my grandchildren, the more I get to come here and be with you, the, the more I want to be like Jesus. I just can't think of anything else I'd rather be or do or experience or be like. I used to be, want to be like my daddy. And everybody in my family that knows my daddy says, you just like your daddy. Great, I accomplished that. That's not really what I want anymore. I want to be like him. I want to do the things that Jesus did. I want to love people the way Jesus loves people. I want to give freely of myself like Jesus gave freely of himself. I want to teach and I want to see people healed and I want to see people forgiven. All the things that Jesus did, I long to be more like him. But it seems like the harder I try to be more like him, the less like him I am. Have you noticed that maybe in your life? The harder I try, the the worse it seems to get. I, I work real hard at it and then I look in the mirror and I don't see Jesus looking back at me. I see a, a bunch of other stuff. I do all the right things. I, I hang out with all of you, the right people, right? To try to do the church thing and look more like Jesus. But then when I look in the mirror in the morning, I say, that, that doesn't look anything like what I'm reading. I try to do all the small ministry things and evangelize and talk about him and and do all that and it just doesn't ever seem to really take hold so after all of that effort and after all of the things that I'm putting in to it I go to church regularly I'm staying pretty close to my Bible reading plan how many of you are right following all the rules hanging out with cool, awesome people. So why, when I know that I have been given a small amount of time on this planet, why is it that I don't use that for His glory all of the time? Why is it 
that when I know that God has gifted me with talents and abilities and, and things that he's given me, why, why do I not always use those for his glory? Why, when he's blessed me with finances and other resources, some of us have a little and some of us have a lot, why is it that I don't use those to glorify him and to bring him glory. Why? Why don't I do these things? Haven't I been a Christian long enough? Haven't I been in church long enough to have these things nailed down? Why do I still wrestle with my time and my talents and gifts and my treasures and my effort? Why do those things still come to the forefront as a wrestling match all of the time? Shouldn't I be consistently investing in his kingdom with all of those things? Something caught my attention this past week. Maybe it did yours. As we're reading through the book of Matthew, something caught my attention and I thought, no, I'm not, I don't want to bring that up. I don't like it. I don't want to see it. But we don't get to pick and choose what we have in Scripture. Amen? Amen. So as I was reading through the book of Matthew with all of you, I get to Matthew chapter 15. And what's going on there is a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And what they're talking about is whether or not the disciples wash their hands before they eat. Which is a good idea, by the way. But apparently the Pharisees had witnessed some of Jesus' disciples not washing their hands before they ate. Well, they wanted to make an issue of it. And they said, Jesus, we've got a question to ask you. Why don't your disciples follow the law? Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? Jesus comes back to them with something that they had been doing that wasn't lawful either in not honoring their mother and father. But what he says is alarming in chapter 15. He tells a parable, you know, a story. For those of you who may not have grown up in church, a parable is a story. It's a way that Jesus was able to relate something to people who weren't church people. Let's just put it like that. And so he tells a, a story in Matthew chapter 15 to everyone who is listening. And, and he says that all plants that aren't planted by his father will be plucked up by the roots. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, one of... His closest guys, Peter, who'd been following Jesus around, seeing all the miracles that he'd been doing and all the people that he'd been touching, and he'd, he'd seen people who were lame now walking and people who needed to be healed, uh, they were healed, and people who were dead now risen from the dead. He, Peter saw all of these things, but after Jesus tells that parable, Peter says to Jesus, can you explain that to me? Peter is what I'm thinking. You, you should know. And in verse 16, and I, I think they're going to put it on the screen, in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 15, Jesus replies to Peter asking for him to explain the parable to him, and he says these words right here, are you still so dull? We like that verse, don't we? When I read that, it hit me like a ton of bricks out of, it just, are you still so 
dull. If you've got an NLT version, it might say, don't you understand yet? For you message version people, uh, it, it might say, you too, are you being willfully stupid? Amen. Peter's like, hey, can you explain that to me? And Jesus, are you still so dull? He can't believe it either. Peter, you've been with me. You've seen everything that's been going on. You should know. These are simple stories. These are simple parables. I'm trying to relate to you who I am and what the kingdom of heaven is like, and you still don't get it. How many of you feel like I do some days where I just don't get it? And so Jesus comes across with, are you still so dull? Dull, translated from the original Greek word for unintelligent, not sharp, dull. I spend a good many hours of each one of my days feeling dull, like I'm just not with it. What I hear Jesus asking Peter and telling Peter is something like this. After all I've told you, after all that you've seen, and after all I've done right in front of your face, are you still not getting the simple things? Do you still not get the simple things? So when I go back to the questions that I asked earlier, why do I not spend the amount of time that I have always on kingdom things? Why do I not always use my gifts and my talents for kingdom things? Why is it that with the, the little bit of resources and, and money that I've been given, why do I not push that towards resource things? As I go back and I think about those questions and I, and I look at my own life, here's what I hear Jesus saying. After all the time you've spent in church, all the sermons that you've heard, all the testimonies that You've heard people say about my faithfulness, all the songs that you've sung. Are you still not getting the simple things? You see, these aren't complex matters. Time, talents, treasures, effort. These are simple things. Church, listen to my heart this morning because I didn't want to bring this message I'm upset with Pastor Robert because he went on vacation and left me with this last week of first fruits. <laughs> these are simple things. We should have already moved beyond these things. We will never get to the level of spirituality and supernatural realm of God when we are still wrestling with the simple things. Jesus is asking each one of us this morning, are you still so dull? Are you still so dull? We should be getting the simple things. Time. Time. We all have been given just a little bit of time. We're supposed to be using that time on this planet to glorify God and to, and to glorify, not to glorify ourselves, but to, to use that time to say, God, what would you have me to do with my time? What are you doing with your precious time? As we stood in the hospital room just two weeks ago now and saw uh, Julie's, my wife's uh, father pass away, time hit me again. We don't have much. It's fleeting. Time is precious and you can't buy more of it. What about our gifts, our talents, the things that God has given us to do? We've all been given gifts that are for His glory. Some sing. Some administrate, some people can teach, some 
have the gift of hospitality, etc., etc., etc. Read through First and Second Corinthians. Paul will list out for you all of the, the gifts that operate or should be operating inside the church. We're all given gifts. But what are we doing with those gifts? How much of the time do we use those gifts for our own selfish ambitions instead of glorifying God? What are you doing with your gifts this morning? You may know what those gifts are, and there are some people that I've met that say, I have no idea what my gifting is. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing in the kingdom. We can help you with that. You should ask those that are closest around you and say, what am I good at? What do you see in me? They'll tell you. Use your gifts. So our time and our gifts. What about our treasures? Our resources? Let me be clear so you don't misunderstand what I'm talking about. Your money. Say, well, now, Pastor, we're not talking about money in church. Yeah, we have to. What are you doing with your money? The money isn't yours. It belongs to God. Let me say that again for those of you that tightened up and checked your back pocket to make sure your wallet was still there. Your money isn't yours. Everything belongs to God. Your money was given to you, whether it be just a little bit or be a lot. Your money has been given to you to manage. But in either case, the responsibility is on you to manage that money with stewardship and with care. Now, some of you would say, well, pastor... Tithing is Old Testament. I live under the new covenant, the covenant of grace. If you can show me in the New Testament where it says that I should be tithing, then I'll tithe. I wouldn't waste my time trying to show you something out of the New Testament or the Old Testament because your heart is already so calloused against it that nothing could prove to you that that's what you're supposed to be doing. I wouldn't waste my time trying to pump you up with that and show you anything. You are stiff-necked is how the Bible says it. And you're dull. And you're looking for a way out of it anyway. So why would I waste my time trying to show you something in the Bible? You see what should have happened and what should have occurred as a follower of Christ is that your heart should have been softened and your mind should have been transformed. You should not be looking in the Bible for an instruction to make sure that you're following the rules. This isn't about following the rules. This is about a relationship with Christ. So nothing I could say, nothing I could do would actually convince you, you would just find a reason to argue with me. We can do that. Call me Monday through Friday. I'll be happy to sit down and we'll argue it out. You should be giving and taking care of the church and taking care of the people in your community and taking care of the people in the mission field that are out there doing what God has called them to do and placed on their life. You shouldn't have to have a verse in Scripture to point to or highlight in your Bible to convince you of that. Because there's been a transformation that's happened in your mind and in your heart. As a matter of fact, don't bother giving your money if that's your heart. Don't, don't bother putting your money in the plate if that's the place that you're coming from. God doesn't need your money anyway. 
He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's going to do whatever he wants to do because he's God and he's sovereign. So it really doesn't make any difference what you decide to do. If you're coming from a calloused place, if you're coming from a place of following the rules, just keep it. God is going to bring his kingdom to pass anyway. He never wanted your tithe and your offering to come from a position of obligation. In the Old Testament, he gave them the law that they were to bring a tenth of all of what they, were, they received and bring it to the storehouse out of obligation. But if you want to talk New Testament, if you want to bring this thing into the new covenant that you think you live under, under the covenant of grace, we're supposed to bring all that we can. All that we can muster up. Everything that we could possibly see our way clear to do. We're supposed to take care of our families. We're supposed to take care of the, the bills that we have. We're not supposed to leave those things undone, but we're supposed to look and find and say, how much can I pour into the kingdom? That's what an investment would look like. So if you're looking for something in the New Testament that says you're supposed to bring a tenth to the church, you won't find it. You can, you can see in Paul's writings that he actually said on the first of the week or on the Sabbath, when you guys get together to have church is what he was saying, everybody should put something together. And when I come by, I'll take it to Jerusalem. So we can gather from that that there was a sense that there should be tithing, but it was never given as a specific percentage of your income or a specific this or a specific that. What is given is that our hearts should want to give. Our hearts should want to serve. Our hearts should cry out and look for an opportunity when someone is hurting to say, what can I do to help? That's New Testament. That's New Covenant. That's what Jesus died for. He wants our giving to come from a position of love and compassion and a heart to invest in something that's eternal. That was good. I'd write that down. He wants our giving and our serving to come from a heart that realizes that there's an investment in someone's eternity. That's what he wants. So if you come from that perspective, you don't have to say, well, let me get my calculator out and see how much I'm supposed to give today. You just say, how much can, what have I got in my wallet? What do I have in my account now that everything, I just got to give. I got to find somebody to bless. Mom and dad used to tell us when we got upset because we didn't get what we wanted for Christmas, well, it's better to give than to receive. Well, that didn't make a whole lot of sense when I was a kid. But now in this Christian walk and in this life, I know and I've experienced and I find it is better to give than to receive. I would much rather pour myself out to someone else than to have someone pour themselves out on me. He's looking for a heart change. In you. He's looking for a way of thinking change in you. You want to know what's New Testament? You want to know what's New Covenant? New Covenant says when you see someone in need, you help them out. That's what New Covenant says. 
This stuff didn't make sense to the people he was preaching it to on the streets of Jerusalem and all around. They didn't make sense to him because the, the law had been taught to them and they had been going to the synagogue and the synagogue and the Pharisees and all the people there had been telling them, this is how you're supposed to give. This is where you're supposed to give it. You bring it to us. We'll take care. Jesus came in, flipped all that upside down on their heads and said, if you see somebody, just handle it. Pastor Robert and I joke around a little bit between the two of us and we call ourselves the handlers. Because sometimes when we see something going on, we just break the rules and we handle it. We just, we just make it better the best we can with the resources that we've been given and the, the ability that we've been given through this church or personally out of our own personal uh, money or whatever it takes. And we just handle the situation. We just make it better to the best of our ability. New Covenant says, lay down your life for your friend. What? New covenant says, love your enemy. When Jesus told them that one, they got all upset. The people I don't like, I'm supposed to love? Yes. The people that do me wrong? Yes. The people who've abused me, have cussed me up one side and down the other, the people that hate my guts, I'm supposed to love them? Yes. Because that's the heart behind it. New Covenant says, your life is not your own. It's been bought with a price. New Covenant says, this money doesn't belong to me. My gifts don't belong to me. My time is precious and it's been given to me and it doesn't belong to me. Can I preach for just a second? How do you think the heat is on in this church this morning? How do you think the light bill gets paid so that when we come in here, we can play the music through the speakers and these spotlights can be on and make it to where I can't see anything. How do you think that occurs? How do you think that there's a curriculum for your children every Sunday morning so that they can come and hear about who Jesus is? How do you think this church goes out and fills up a kerosene tank for someone whose heat has run out at their house? How do you think we build a ramp for someone who no longer can walk so that they can get in and out of their house? How does that occur? How do you think that we compensate to some degree some of the volunteers and staff at this church that give of themselves tirelessly all week long so that when you get here on Sunday morning, the building is clean and the, the music is the best that it can possibly be? And that the word of God goes forth from someone who has studied, given of themselves to prayer, and asked God, what would you have these people here today? How does all that happen? It happens because there's a, a remnant. It happens because there's a group of you, a group of people who understand the principle of giving, who understand that they're investing in something that's eternal when they stroke a check or put cash in a plate or come and serve or volunteer or give of their time and go visit somebody. Those are the people who get what the kingdom is all about. Those are New Testament people. That is New Covenant worship right there. What about the person standing on the road when you pull up to the intersection? What about them? We've all looked at them and said to ourselves, I'm not giving them any money. They're probably a drunk. 
They're probably going to take that money and go out and spend it on something that they shouldn't spend it on. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who made us judge, jury, and executioner to decide what it is that they need? Maybe they're trying to put some gas in a vehicle or give somebody $5 to take them to their AA meeting so they can be free of whatever it is that's got them in bondage. Why should I try to decide that? If the Holy Spirit says, give them some money, I should clean out my wallet. I'm guilty. I haven't done it either. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just being real. What about the waitress or the waiter at the restaurant you ate at? And they didn't do such a great job. Your food came cold and it was late. You've been there way too long. Now you're late. It's their fault. And so when it comes time to pay the bill, you do that reluctantly. And then you leave them a sorry tip. Can I just say that Christians ought to be the best tippers? Well, I mean, we ought to lay it on them. I want them to look shocked when they see it laying on the table. I'm sorry you forgot your change. No, baby, that belongs to you. If they were honest, they'd say, well, I did a sorry job. And I'd say, well, I don't care. I just want to bless you today. We ought to be the best tippers out there. We ought to be the people that are the example of Jesus even when we go out and eat in a restaurant. What about her, though? What about that waiter or that waitress? What about what's going on in their life? What are you saying when you don't honor them for the service that they just provided for you regardless of what you got out of it? What about the coworker that sits in the cubicle next to you or the person you see every day that mistreats you, talks you up and down? They reported you to the boss. What's New Testament? What's New Covenant say about them? Some of you are thinking right now, I knew if I stayed in this church long enough, if I came enough Sundays, they were going to get around to money. You say, uh, pastor's just trying to get in our pockets. They're trying to build a building. He's trying to drum up some, some money to put that new building out there. Not really. I have no interest in raising money or trying to get any more of it. Because in my life personally, and you can ask my wife and she'll tell you, it's been trouble. Having money is trouble. I have no interest in raising that. I have no interest in deciding or understanding or knowing who gives and who doesn't. I don't have access to that at this church. And I don't want access to it. I don't know who tithes and who doesn't on a regular basis. I don't know who gives when we take up a missions offering and who doesn't. And I don't want to know. Other people take care of that and thank God for them. What I am interested in is you being more like Jesus. Now that I'm interested in. So if we want to have a conversation about what I'm interested in, let's sit down and have a conversation about you looking more like Jesus. So that when you look in the mirror, you say, oh, there's a little bit more of what I know Jesus looks like staring back at me. That's what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is you being obedient to the Scripture and understanding what New Covenant, New Testament living looks like and you reaping and receiving the benefits of living that way. You see, for a long time, we didn't tithe. We didn't give. We, we held. We couldn't make the math work. And we held that back to ourselves. And at one point and one time, and I've told many of you this, we just decided first fruits, Christian living, Walking with Jesus says, I give to him first. I take care of what I can first, and he'll work out the rest. 
And ever since that day, my income level has gone down like this, but my blessings have gone up like this. It's amazing how biblical principles work. Can I get an amen? It's amazing how when we follow what God says, he works it out. Amen. It's amazing to me that regardless of whether the math makes sense or the time makes sense or the resources make sense, when we follow what this book says, God says, I see you. I see you. Take some of this. Get you some of that. That doesn't always mean that it's going to be a, your bank account's going to blow up. But it means that other things in your life perhaps are blessed. And the joy level that you live with goes up. What are you doing with your money? What about your effort? Every one of us has a certain amount of effort that we apply to different things in different areas of our life. When do we apply that effort to what Jesus called us to do? We put a lot of effort into work. We put a lot of effort into play. When do we put that effort, when the first fruit type type of effort, the thing that gets you up in the morning and says, I'm going to go after this ministry opportunity. I'm going to reach this person. What about your effort? What are you doing with your effort? Paul uses the word zeal several times in the New Testament. I love that word because it implies something more than just going at it. It means going at it with some passion. It means coming at it with some, some vigor, something that, that you don't see in most people. Paul says, have zeal in your ministry. Go after people with zeal and vigor. In Luke chapter 15, I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three more of those stories, those parables that he talks about. The first one is, uh, uh, is, the first one is, is about a lost sheep. And if you've been in church, you know about the lost sheep. And Jesus says, if there's one sheep that's out there and there's 99 that are still in the pen, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find that. The shepherd's going to go find that sheep and bring him back. And he says, when we get back with that one sheep, there's rejoicing. He can call your neighbors and say, I found my sheep. The next parable he tells is about a lost coin. The lady can't find her coin. She takes everything out of the house, moves it around, sweeps up the floor, and she finds that lost coin. And she calls her neighbors over and says, I found it. I found that lost coin. It was valuable to her. There's something I want you to realize before I tell you the third parable he told in Luke chapter 15 is that the sheep and the coin didn't have anything to do with it. They didn't know what they were lost. They didn't lose themselves on purpose. They didn't make bad choices. A sheep is stupid. He was just following some grass and he, got, he wandered off. He got lost. The coin fell off the table. It didn't lose itself. It just happened to go into a crack or behind something or underneath something. Had nothing to do with it. But the third story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 is about the lost son. And you know this story if you've been in church. And so just very, very briefly, the, the son decides that he wants his inheritance. He, he wants his third. He was the younger son, so he wasn't going to get half. He was going to get one third of his father's inheritance. And so he asks him, I, I don't want to wait until you die. I want it now. And the father gives it to him. And he goes out and squanders that inheritance, spends it all. It's gone. He doesn't have anything to show for it. And he ends up working for somebody feeding their hogs, feeding their pigs. And I love where Jesus takes this parable. Now remember, he's not telling us something that's factual so much. He's telling us a story so that we'll get something. And what I want you to get out of this this morning is how much God has invested in you. Are you with me? 
In chapter 15, in verse 11, Jesus continued and said, There was a man who had two sons, and, and, and the father said, uh, he asked the father, the younger son did, give me a share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country and sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach. He was hungry with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17 is so critical and so important. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. When he came to his senses, some of us need to come to our senses this morning. You see, that part the son knew he needed to do. He had gone out and squandered everything that the father had given him. It was his inheritance. There was no more coming. That was all of it. He had squandered it. He needed to come to his senses. Some of us are here this morning, and that may be you. And you say, you know what? I'm just now starting to get this. I'm coming to my senses. Well, not long after that, he decided to get up. And it says in verse 20, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. You see, the son had to take a step. He had to make a move towards what the father's end result would be. Once he changed his mind, once he realized this is what I need to do, then he had to get up. He couldn't stay in the pig pen. He had to move towards the father. You know what he said to the, he was going to do when he got there? He says what he's going to do when he gets there is that he's going to tell his father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. That's what he had decided that he was going to say to his father when he got there. So as he comes down the driveway, we like to say, I don't know if it was a field or if he was coming yonder, but as he come over the horizon, the father saw him and ran towards him. I want you to know this morning that the Father, the one who is invested in you, is running towards you always. When you make a move towards him, he makes a move towards you. We like to picture God and we even say it from the front of the church. God's standing here with his arms open wide. The God I know is running with his arms open wide. I'm headed towards him and he's headed towards me. He's coming to get me because he sees I'm finally making a move. What happens as we continue through this story very, very quickly is when he gets to his father, his father throws his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son goes into his dissertation about what he was going to say. And he says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he never gets to the third point. Have you noticed that? Have you ever noticed that was missing? What was his intention? His intention was that he was going to say, make me as one of your hired servants. But he never gets it out of his mouth. The father goes, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. He didn't want to hear that. He said, no, 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 you are my son. You have returned. And what I love about this is we see the, the father that chased after him, saw him coming from afar off. The father running to the son. Then the father calls for the servants to come and, and dispatch help to the son. Don't you know that when you make a run for God and he makes a run for you, he also calls all the, and dispatches all of the angels of heaven to go, hey, he's finally back. Bring it. Come on, let's go. Let's go get him. 
What I love about that is we've never been so far that God won't receive us back. And he says to his servants, I need you to go get the best robe. Not just a robe, the best robe. You see, there was multiple robes hanging in the closet. How many of you got multiple shirts and stuff hanging in the closet? Some of them you like, some of them you don't like. Some of them cover everything and some of them maybe don't cover as much. He said, bring me the best robe, not the servant robe. You understand the best robe was the robe for a family member. And it covered everything from here all the way down to his sandals. He said, bring me the best robe that we've got hanging in the closet. Didn't just cover to his knees because he had just come from the pig pen. Can you imagine what his legs would have looked like? Can you imagine the dirt and the grime that he had all over him? This robe covered all of that. The robe that Jesus wants to put on you, the robe that you'll wear in heaven one day will cover everything. It will not stop and leave some of your sin exposed. You will get the best robe from your father. The father also said, bring me a ring. This would have been a signet ring. This would have been something that he could stamp his authority onto something and say, this is from my family. That's the kind of ring that he said bring to this son who had squandered everything and gone out and, and wasted and now is back. The father puts that ring on his finger and says, you now have your authority back. You are now a son. You are now a daughter. You can now stamp my name on anything that you please. The ring the servants brought and put back. The father covered his feet with sandals can you imagine what his feet had been through at this point? He'd been feeding the hogs. They were dirty. He might have stopped along a creek somewhere trying to get them cleaned up before he got back to the father's house, but he was coming back with such anticipation that they were probably still dirty. And the father said, it doesn't matter. I've got some sandals to put on there. You don't have to walk on those sore feet anymore. I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to cover you with the robe. Here's your ring. Put these sandals on. The father said, go and kill the fatted calf. Call for a feast and a celebration of music and dancing. What does that represent to us? It represents the father said, now that you're restored, let's have a relationship again. Let's party it up. I'm not going to hold against you what you've done. The picture I'm trying to paint for you here is that the father's investment in the son in this parable was paramount. The, the investment that he made, the things that he took out of his own budget, his own, his own storehouse and gave to his son were the best. They were the top quality and that's the investment God has made in each one of us. We come back dirty from going on out and squandering our time, our talents, and our treasures, and our effort. We come back crying and saying, I'm not worthy. And he goes, shh, shh, don't. You are still my child. Here's a robe to cover all of that. Here's some sandals so your feet won't be sore. Here, take my ring. You can stamp the authority of God, of the cre Creator, onto anything that you want. I'm restoring you. And let's party. I want to have a relationship with you. That's the investment that God the Father makes on you. That's why Jesus told these parables. That's the importance of us returning the investment that God gave to us with a little bit of all of those things we've already talked about, our time, our talents, our treasures, our effort. When will we just get those simple things right? Are we so dull that we don't see it? 
He's made such a huge investment on us already. If I had a favorite TV show, it would be Shark Tank. If I had a favorite TV show. For those of you who aren't familiar, there's a panel of self-made millionaires, maybe billionaires, and they sit there and these people come up and present their new uh, inventions. They're going to start a business or they already have started a business and they can't do it on their own because they lack something. Most of the time, money. Some of them lack skill set. They tell those people, you can just go on. But what they're trying to do is get those millionaires, those sharks, to invest in their company. And so they paint the picture as rosy as they possibly can. They say, well, we got it all figured out. This is how we're going to run our business. This is where I'm going to get this thing produced. This is how we're going to sell it. And the sharks, the the money people, they sit there and analyze that information, and they make a decision. Should I invest in that company or not? Now, their motivation and their ambition is what? ROI. If I dump $300,000 in this business, when am I going to get it back? And how much more than 300000 can I get back? And so they bicker amongst themselves, if it's a decent business, to invest. But what they see when they make the agreement and make the deal to invest in that business is they see potential. They see an opportunity to strike a little bit more money into their bank account. Let me ask you a question this morning. What did God see in you? What what did God see in me? Oh, I've failed him so many times. I've been unfaithful so many times to him. I squandered opportunities that he's put right in front of me. I've not been diligent. What did he see in me? Why would he take the robe, the ring, the sandals and hand them to me again after I've gone out and done that? Because he sees potential. He sees the return on his investment in you and in you and in you and in me. He sees his kingdom coming to pass through us. That's how this whole thing's designed. He said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. You're going to carry my message to them. They're going to believe. And someday, I'm coming back to get everybody. He sees the potential in you. Has anybody heard anything today in this message? I told somebody yesterday, you better wear your steel-toe boots tomorrow. This has been hitting me all week. Here's what I want to do. I love where this service has gone today. If you heard anything, if this message was for you, if you needed to hear this, if you're at a place in your walk with Christ right now where you're struggling maybe in some of these areas or you just, you, you just needed to be here today. What I want to do is, as Hunter comes and the team, I, I, I just want to fill up this altar. And do you know what I want us to pray as we're down here? Jesus, make me more like you.
Is there anybody willing to come pray that with me this morning? Jesus, make me more like you. Because that's important to me. It's life or death to me. In my finances, Jesus, make me more like you. In my giftings, my talents, my time, Jesus, make me more like you. Am I going to be by myself? Come on. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to ask him to make me more like him. Not more like me. I don't want to be more like me. I want to be more like him. And so if you're with me this morning on that, I want to pray with each and every one of you. I don't know how long it's going to take. Joseph, you're going to have to help me. Terry, you're going to have to help me. I want to pray for each person that's standing here today. As they believe and as they ask Jesus to make them more like him, we want to agree with them. Yes, Jesus, do it. Are you with me? So it ought to be a little bit loud in here. We can't do that silently. What we're doing is we are pleading with him. Maybe you need to ask for some forgiveness in that process. Maybe you need to say, well, before I ask for you to make me more like you, let me, let me deal with this area of my life. I, I need your forgiveness here. Then I would just encourage you, do that. Whatever the Holy Spirit's telling you to do right now. Go to work. Go to battle. Let's get it done. Amen?
little bit more business that needs to be done up here heavenly father we we pour ourselves out to you and we ask God that in all areas of our life would you make us look more like you this is this is dangerous territory we're walking into the unknown by faith today and we're asking you, God, to reveal in our lives what we need to do to look more like you. Will you help us, Jesus, in our areas of, of service, God? Would you show us where you want us to serve? Your kingdom needs us to do our part. We need to step forward. We need for our faith to be built to, to serve other people. God, would you reveal to us what you need us to do? God, in the areas of our giftings, would you reveal to us what our giftings are, what our talents are? And Lord, for those of us that may know, but we've just sat on the sidelines and haven't wanted to, to launch out into that area, would you cause an explosion to incur inside of us where we can't remain silent, that we have to find an area to serve and use these giftings and these talents that you've given us so generously? God, in the area of our finances, the, the money that we get to handle, we're managers of it, God. It doesn't belong to us. Would you expose the areas of our finances, God, that desperately need a touch from you today? We want to look more like you, Jesus. We want to look more like you. Oh, God, don't let me wake up tomorrow looking like I looked yesterday. I want to see the love in my eye that you have in your eye for people. I want to serve people with the same heart that you serve people with. I want to give with the same compulsion and vigor and fervor that you give so freely. God, I thank you today. I thank you today for answering prayer. So as we prayed for one another and as we walked through here and we agreed with these people who are pleading with you they recognize something in their life that needs a change they recognize that they don't always look like you they recognize that there's more that they can do father god we recognize the investment that you made in us and we're going to invest back into your kingdom to the best of our ability every day of our lives. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, yep, that's me. That's what I'm going to do. Thank you, Jesus. Make us more like you, Jesus. 
Give us your heart. Give us your hands. Give us your feet. We pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Now, here's what we have to do. In just a moment, when we leave this place, we leave this place as people who are forgiven. We leave this place as overcomers. We leave this place knowing that there is a spirit that resides inside of us that can help us to do better than we've done before. If you believe that, say amen. We don't leave this place feeling lost. We don't leave this place feeling discouraged. We leave this place with joy and vigor and passion because we are children of the Most High God. Oh, I don't know if they got that. We were the prodigal son. And when we came back to him, he came running to us. He said, welcome home. He said, I'm going to put that robe on you, put that ring on your finger. Let's have a banquet. This is going to be a great day. So we don't leave down in the dumps. It doesn't matter what the whole world's saying. It matters what we've got going on with our God this morning. Will you sing with us before we leave here today? I feel like worshiping my God. How about you? Thank you for tuning into this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.